website. Alright, shut the fuck up. Hello, and welcome to the Illenials Podcast. Illenials Podcast! Wow. So, as you may or may not know, I am the senior executive uh, viceroy host, Seth. And I'm uh, I'm just Smith. I, I work here, too. Yeah, and we're uh, the Illenials. And we've yeah. got some news for you guys this week. We do. The first of which is, so, uh, Seth, I uh, just went to see our grandfather. Uh, we call him our, our, our papa. Papa, yeah. As we call him. Uh, and do you know that he has got himself a new dog? Yes. Mm-hmm. Our, our mother sent us a, sent me a picture, yes. So I went inside uh, his house because the dog was not outside. We were like, surely a dog's not inside the house. They yeah. go in there, and right next to the door, he has this big tray of dirt sitting there on the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, the dog is not a cat. It is never going to shit in this fucking tray of dirt. That's but not how it works. Surely enough, a dog is inside the house, and he's a cute little fucking asshole, uh, uh, like, wiener-looking dog. Yeah. And he's alright, but I'm just like, I'm like, Papa, you know this dog is never, he's, he's gonna shit on this hardwood floor as soon as he would shit on that rug. He doesn't give a damn. He's yeah, not a cat. Take, you gotta take dogs outside to poop. Yeah, so, uh, he doesn't understand that because he's never had a dog inside. Yeah, none of, our family's never had an inside dog before. No. Which is really weird for some people I found out. Lots of folks are like, how can you not keep your dogs inside when it's cold? And I'm like, they're dogs. They'll, yeah. they'll be fine. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, you got some. You got some. Some personal. Yeah. You, got, you got a personal story as well. No, I don't. Oh. But. Um, I will say this. I'm. We are recording one day late as we did last week as well. Mm-hmm. This time for different reasons. This time I had a massive St. Patrick's Day hangover. Mm-hmm. Worst hangover of my entire life. How much green beer did you drink? I don't drink any green beer. The place I went, I went to didn't have green beer, which is weird. Well, um, what the fuck? But I drank a lot of other stuff, and it did not settle very well. Mm-hmm. So, recorded a day late, and a dollar short, um, but I'm glad we did, because some incredible news for this podcast happened today. Oh boy. A self-driving Uber car killed a person. Yeah, yeah, I saw this. This is incredible. This is the best thing I've ever seen. I, I'm you, just so I'm so glad that finally we have we can put a toll on the robots and their rise. Yeah, for sure. There's now one official death from autonomous cars, and it was yeah. done by Uber, which makes it even better because they're a fucking shitty ass company who just robs people blind all day. Oh yeah, they're they're one of the shittiest corporations uh, in existence right now. So. It, it could have happened to a, a better target. Yeah. And it's just, it's another one of those things that is this big corporation. And first of all, Uber is one awful because they don't pay people very well and they profit too much off of stuff. And they just have really a, lo- a lot of murky stuff going on in their um, corporate structure. So that's bad. But now they want to eliminate even having to pay people by just having autonomous cars do things for them. And it's it's awesome that on their first test run, something catastrophic happened, and it just goes to show that you know maybe this all this power and all this technology is getting to their head, and maybe we should scale back a little bit and care more about people rather than machines. Yeah, you always see like the self-driving car argument and stuff is like, 
oh yeah, we gotta work on like the tech and we gotta get it better. And we gotta we gotta we gotta fix the algorithms and all this kind of shit. And they never actually say like the real problem with it is that or the real thing is they want to replace people. They want to replace human beings as drivers. Like one one of the few jobs that came, that you know had before wasn't automated. And so it's just really fucked up that that's yes. their goal. And it's one of the few jobs you can get without a college degree. Mm-hmm. Which means that um, people who may maybe can't afford to go to college or maybe had to drop out for personal or financial reasons won't even be able to get those kinds of jobs anymore because big rigs and any transporter vehicle, any U- UPS, is going to be driven by a computer rather than a person. And yeah, I mean... And think about how many people uh, don't even do Uber as a main job. They do it as a side gig to make extra money to, like, pay their fucking bills. Yeah, because and, without it, they can't. Yeah, and they're going to get rid of that. They're going to they're gonna remove those, the, that, that small lifeline that some people got to use, and you're going to have nothing then. Yeah, and I don't know. Like I said, I'm happy it happened. I, uh, I was talking to some coworkers about it, and... Some of them are still surprisingly optimistic about self-driving cars and the technology and stuff, and it's sad to see because, I don't know, I, like, like we're saying, it's, it's literally these billionaires just tr- trying to take every last bit out of us, draining us of everything we have and every, any dollar we can have to ourselves. and plenty of people are still fine with it and think that self-driving cars... They're like, people, the argument always is people are like, oh, well, I don't even, I won't have to drive to work. I can just sit in the passenger seat and go to work. That's not how it's going to work. Mm-mm. They are going to start driving and they're not going to take you anywhere because they're not going to need to take you anywhere. They're not going to need you anymore. That's what they're trying to do. Yeah, I just want to say to our 20 or so listeners out there. Yes. That Seth is, Seth is not happy that a person died. That's not the part he's happy about. He's happy that this damages Uber's reputation. That this this also has caused them to, to ground their entire test fleet of self-driving cars. It's yeah. we're not happy a woman is dead. We're happy that something has finally caused uh, uh, Uber to fail. Wait, did it, away. did it come off that way? It did. You were like, I'm very happy that this happened, and it's like ah, the story is that a woman died. I, I'm happy it happened to Uber. Not to this woman. This woman mm-hmm. will go down as a hero in the future, though, as being the first person killed by a robot. She will be the Crispus Attics of the New World. That is not true. Go uh, ahead. There was a Japanese guy who was the first person ever killed by a robot back in the 80s. I think when he he stepped over into a, a part of this like automobile factory where he was working uh, to like service a piece of machinery... Uh, and he and the robot arm came alive and crushed him against the wall. She's the first casualty of the new world. I said. That's true. Post two thousand and ten. Oh, okay, two thousand ten. Yes. Why do you? Why is that particularly your uh, demarcation? I, I line? think that's just a you know it's like the 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 closest round number we have to where we oh. are now. Also, to our 20 listeners, I know I said the arm came alive. I know that's not the, the technical yeah. accurate. It wasn't possessed by a ghost. I get it. You did it, say that this uh, machine developed a mind of its own. <laughs> it turned on in its, in its pre-programmed uh, uh, pattern and crushed up against the wall. I get it. There wasn't a fucking a ghost or a, a, the, an AI involved. I understand. I'm well, not as dumb well, as Well, also, we're not ruling out that there's a ghost in the machine. That is true. That is actually true. You can never it's be sure It's a saying for a reason. So, mm. but as far as the information we have now, it was just a technical malfunction. Or actually, it was doing what it was supposed to do, just at the wrong time. 
You want to hear something funny? I do, I do. When I was a child, I knew there were two things that existed in this world. Uh, I knew there was more than just these two things. These are two things I knew in this specific way. There is there is the, the anime, Ghost in the Shell. We mm-hmm. all remember that one. And there was a, a movie called The Ghost in the Darkness, I think. And it was mm-hmm. a Val Kilmer movie about hunting these two lions in uh, in Africa. And it was a, based on a real story of two lions that went, that went wild, started attacking, well, wild, went rogue, I guess, and were attacking railroad workers in, like, Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just got them confused and thought they were the same thing. I thought this weird uh, uh, lion hunting movie was also the same as this robot anime. Yeah. Well, luckily, they were combined in the 20, 2017 masterpiece, Ghost in the Shell, starring Scarlett Johansson. Which is just a winner of a film, if I have any, if I have anything else to say about it. I mean, aside from all the weird shit of casting Scarlett Johansson as an Asian person, which I mean, again, it it could make sense given that it's like a robot body. Sure, all right, yeah. cool. They made her white. I I could possibly get that. It's just a very bland movie. It just wasn't very a, good. The movie is a turd. It didn't have. It couldn't even. They, they, they literally had an anime already. They could have just copied the visuals from. Yeah, there's already a Ghost in the Shell anime movie. Mm-hmm. They could have just carbon copied it into live action, and we would have been happy. But they just failed. They just failed. And the Ghost in the Shell anime movie is one of the best anime movies of all time. And Mr. they just totally messed up. One hundred percent. So, so yes. I wanted to bring a story to you, Seth. I got something to talk Go about. Go ahead. And it's about everyone's favorite store, Toys R Us. Um, they're, as you might know, uh, listeners, they're going out of business. They've gone bankrupt. They've Tears. been, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're leaving us. They're putting 31,000 people out of work with us too. And I was just curious, Seth, have you heard the story of how this happened? No, I actually haven't. So, you know, in the nineties, which when I was coming up, uh, uh, toy sales were kind of like slumping after the eighties you know, it was the rise of the video games and yeah. uh, kids weren't buying any toys, and also the idea of a toy department store like Toys R Us, I guess, was not novel anymore. Yeah. So they were they were on they were falling on hard times. And in 2005, I think it was, they were bought up by uh, Bain Capital. You remember Bain Capital, right? Mitt Romney's old outfit. Remember yeah. that? They were I think in was... that. They were in that one Batman movie. <laughs> Uh, remember, legit now at the time, Rush Limbaugh had like a rant where he said that Bane, Bane in the movie Batman or The Dark Knight Rises or whatever was specifically put there to turn voters against Mitt Romney. As and I'm like, man, that was so quaint back then. If so, A plus. And it's like all I can think of is like now that I know that Bane Capital is responsible for Toys R Us dying. It's just like only when you no longer have funds. May you finally go bankrupt. Was that what, what was that? Was that like a, an animal of some sort? It was it was Deckard Cain from Diablo three. Oh, you're right. It was. Mm-hmm. That's good. I love I love Deckard. So so Bain Capital uh, buys and I mean a couple of companies too. I'm going to go with Bain for the most part. Uh, bought up Toys R Us and did it in such a way where like eighty percent of that payment was actually given to Toys R Us in money. Or was it like a... It took it out on debt, basically. The 80, yeah. Toys R Us has got to pay back. Go ahead. They paid the rest in toys. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, toys R Us has to pay back as 80% of the cost in, in debt. 
um, to Bain Capital and its partners. So when Toys R Us got restructured, it came back in such a way where they had to pay a lot of money. Like it was like something like four hundred and fifty million dollars a year, uh, just in interest rates to Bain Capital and such to uh, uh, to them. So like that, that's that's out of their profit. So they're not doing yeah. very well, and. Eventually, you know, Toys R Us can't sustain the cost anymore, and as we see now, they're going out of business. But, and this is totally, this is something that happens. Companies do this all the time. They they, they buy up uh, public companies, these private places. They take them private, and they they're supposed to re like get back on their feet, restructure them, and then sell them back for a profit. And that's what Bank Capital would have done is make a profit off of a successful and. Uh, and robust Toys R Us being sold back. But yeah. that's what it's supposed to do, but it basically never works out that way. Instead, it turned it into like a tenant situation where the re, the bought company pays this rent, basically, to to the uh, the buying company until they go out of business. And in that way, Bain Capital recoups most of their investment just off of uh, uh, basically extracting money from Toys R Us. Yes. And what gets me about this, though, the thing that really gets me, that burns my fucking butt about the whole situation is... I'm looking at some stories, and one of these uh, Toys R Us executives was uh, awarded in court uh, $14 uh, million as their severance pay uh, from the company. But the workers on the ground are not getting anything. They're not getting any severance. They're being paid for 30 more days to work. And that is it. You're out on the street. 31,000 people are out on the street, and this guy gets $14 million. Wait, so you're telling me that a big company went bankrupt and one of their executives makes a bunch of money for doing a bad job Mm -hmm. and all the workers get shafted? Yeah. Hmm. That sounds like a brand new story that's never been told before. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I I understand it's not an original one, but it's it's happening. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's... occurring to people uh, constantly and i uh let me see here i am actually doing right now some math which i know you know i'm really good at right yes i'm uh i've you're always real, you're a uh, math guy they call you so i i looked at it and if you were to divide up that one guy's uh 14 million uh, uh, dollars by 31,000 employees. This is just one executive now with his one severance package. You could give everyone uh, $451 a severance pay. So do that for every executive and you could probably give everybody what? Uh, five, six grand worth of money as yeah. severance instead of just cutting them loose. So, you know, uh, fuck the guys on top. They don't deserve shit. Yeah. Um, nobody cares about retail workers or service workers or people who work in the food industry, they don't care. And more and more stories come out like this, and more and more, I think, people are starting to realize that there's, you know, a lot of corruption at the top. And for a long time, like when I was when I was growing up and all this, we just took it as, you know, a fact. There's corruption at the top of every corporation, and we just have to deal with it. But I'm thinking, you know, since it happened to me, more and more people are going to come around to the idea that maybe this shouldn't happen anymore. And maybe these people shouldn't be allowed to have this much power and be this rich. And everyone should be treated more equally economically and socially. And, you know, that's what we're all about. Yeah. I think people are, uh, are, uh, less willing to put up with things like this because 
I think that we're now less comfortable than we were before, like 10, 20 years ago. And when you're less comfortable, you become prone to being like, well, hold on now. Fuck this system that turned me into this. I don't like this at all. So, like you said, oh, for sure. We want to radicalize everybody we can, right? Yep. I think that when we we were kids, go ahead. We did it to Ben. Ben is now on our side. <laughs> I, dude, I'm trying to get Marcus to be on the podcast because he's also a moderate. So we got to get him on here and, and talk to him about this kind of stuff. I doubt Marcus even knows who the president is. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you would ask him, he might say George Bush. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Um, but yeah, I just want to go ahead and say real quick a, a credit to this, this, uh, this, this story I brought you was uh, I, I saw it on uh, The Week. Uh, an article by Jeff Spross, and it's called uh, How Vulture Capitalists Ate Toys R Us. So go look that up if you're curious, uh, listeners, because it's a really well-written article. It's it's, uh, it's very good. The Week is a pretty good website, in my opinion. And, yeah, shout-out to Jeff Spross for doing the work on that one. Vulture Capitalist is a good term. It I like is. That. I like it. That's that's a new one for me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store that one. I like it. Yeah, I'm excited about that, about using that at some point. It's how lame right. I am. All right, I've got something. Okay. This past weekend, history was made. Mm -hmm. For anyone out there, for any of our 20 listeners who might be into college basketball, you know what I'm talking about. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. No clue. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about it real quick. So what month is it? It's uh, it's March, I believe. It's It's March. It's a month of madness. It's March Madness. The NCAA college basketball tournament. Uh, to decide who the national champion is is happening during this month. It started last week, and this has already been the most insane March Madness of all time. So, you know, just like any competition, whether it be sports or things that aren't sports, um, when there's a tournament, teams come in and they are seeded. And as, you know, that ranked by how good they were in a regular season, they get better, you know, favorable matchups in the tournament. So... Throughout all of March Madness, every one seed, teams who won their conference and are considered to be the best teams in the tournament, get to face 16 seeds, who are teams that not only didn't win their conference, and if they did, it was a very, 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 very low conference, but aren't considered to be that good of teams. And no 16 seed had ever beaten a one seed. They were 0 and 138 before this weekend. Wow. Never in history has a NCAA 16 seed beaten a one seed. But this past weekend, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County beat Virginia. And not only was Virginia a one seed from the AAC, but they are the number one seeded team in the entire tournament. They were considered to be the best team going in and were eliminated in the first round by a 16 seed team. And we were, everyone was like, wow, that's the craziest thing that's going to happen. But then things continue to happen. In fact, at this point, there is only... There's only two one seeds left in the tournament and not that many two or three seeds. A lot of big teams have been defeated. University of North Carolina got taken out by Texas A&M. Uh, Xavier got taken out by uh, Houston, I believe. I might, I might have that fat wrong. And so it, it's actually becoming one of the biggest, one of the tournaments full of upsets, which is, and it's already a tournament made of upsets because the one thing about March Madness is a lot of people will tell you that it doesn't actually determine who the best team is. Because it's a single elimination game with like 64 teams. So 
if you have one bad game, you don't have a second chance, you're out. So some of these one seeds might be better than they than they were and might not have lost these games if they had a second chance. But because of the way this tournament is set up, a lot of crazy things can happen and small teams can go on these miracle runs. And this seems like a, like a tournament where that's probably going to happen. There's still a couple of one seeds left who might end up taking it all and end up making the finals kind of boring. But as of right now, it's shaping up to be a very interesting tournament. And it was, it was interesting to see something new happen during a one of the most cherished times in American uh, sports. So I'm curious, is there yes. like a, is there a reason for why this is happening? Like, is there some kind of like, a, I don't know, like an explanation for all these big teams lost? It's mostly because um, smaller teams and bigger teams even are just, are getting better at knowing their matchup. And so a lot of things like, if you, like Virginia, they have some prop. They have some real problem, real weird problems here and there with defense. And the thing that UMBC did was they were like, okay, we're just never gonna miss shots ever. Uh, they like there's there's a couple of guys on UMBC who just were not missing shots, and that's hard for a team that doesn't play defense to deal with. Of course, a lot of that is luck, a lot of that is timing, whatever. But they still won the game, and they won by 20 points. It wasn't a close game. A lot of these big seeds were beaten by 20 or more points by lower-seeded teams, um, which is also unheard of. So, yeah, it's mostly just, you know, teams learning. And then, of course, it's just the whole idea of the March Madness, the idea that this single elimination tournament can really take, you know, it can take time to get used to. And if you're not used to how a team – because a lot of time is, you know, you're you're Virginia. You're never going to play University of Maryland, Baltimore County ever. So you don't know what this team plays like. You don't know any of their players. You don't know anything about them. So even though they're seated so much lower than you, they might have a small thing in their play style that just neutralizes part of you, and then you lose. And that's you know that's what leads it to being so mad, which is pretty cool. Wow. So kind of like a big upset then happening. That's a uh, yes. There was like six different upsets over the weekend, and a lot of like buzzer beaters, a lot of cool moments. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty fun time. A lot of good basketball happening then apparently. Yes. I don't really watch it too much. Um, I don't have a television, yes. I suppose. Uh, so I don't get to watch much, ba- much basketball. But in my opinion, and I don't watch many sports, it is one of the... Uh, it is probably the most entertaining sport to watch, actually watch outside of uh, soccer for me. All right. Uh, go ahead and rank sports for me. Top, what are the top five sports in your opinion? The top five sports, like for like for watching, like for Tra- enjoying with my eyeballs? Top five traditional sports, whatever criteria you want. Uh, I'm going to put soccer at the top. Soccer okay, was the soccer. most fun I ever had watching sports. Um, I think after that I'll probably put uh, hockey. Um, hockey. Hockey's good. Hockey's very fun to watch. Okay. A lot of fights happen. You, you just mentioned that basketball was probably right behind soccer, but oh, that's okay. A good point. I, 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 I forgot about hockey, though. I was sleeping on hockey. Yeah, hockey, um, okay. So basketball, but after that, so number three is basketball. Okay. And then under that, I mean, now we're really scraping the ball in the barrel here for sports that are really uh, uh, fun to watch. Oh, geez. Um, boxing, I guess, maybe? Uh, boxing. UFC, okay. I guess, in that same scenario. Like, fighting. Okay. The WWE, like, yeah, we'll put that in there. Um, and number five, uh, oh, God, man, you really, you're killing me. A water polo. I don't know. Like Water polo. I, okay, here's a question for you. Is water polo real? Is that a real sport? I have no evidence to prove that it is. I've never once seen a person 
play water polo or even say that they play water polo except in like movies when they're trying to talk about rich white people and things they do right so maybe we just have never talked to enough rich white people and don't hang in those circles enough to know what they talk about and what sports they play so that could be it it's kind of like when i was a kid i thought that uh that that jewish people were a joke i didn't actually exist you thought um, a lot of weird shit when you were a kid. Look, man, I we I watched a lot of movies when I was when I was young that were that were set in New York City. I never went to New York City, so I just kind of thought a lot of this was made up, I guess. Uh, so like I didn't like, like and when I say Jewish people, I mean like the ones that have like what do you call them, the Hasidic Jews? Hasidic Jewish people, the, yes. I thought, okay, that's a joke, right? Or like, I guess as a kid, I was sitting there going, "This is a racist caricature, right? This isn't real. Like, this isn't what Jews look like." Yeah, when I was a kid, I, I said stuff like "racist caricature" a lot in my head. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you had that. Well, I mean, in your like, head even when as a kid, seven years old. <laughs> I mean, even as a kid, you could look at like an old Disney cartoon or some shit, like the minstrel show, look and go, "This isn't right. This is that's not that's not good." I thought that was kind of the same thing, I guess, as a kid. Yeah. I know. I bet you were sitting there and you're like, man, this has to be deeply entrenched in some racial fear. And some of these plots are trite. I got to tell you that. I, I'm I eight years old. You are mischaracterizing me as a child? You're, I think you're like mischaracterizing that? yourself. I was just watching these cartoons and being like, that's probably not right. That's probably not. That, that can't be how it is. Right, because I, I knew I knew kids that were black, and I was like, "That's not what they look like at all. Why do they look like that?" And and the white characters look normal. Mm-hmm. Please go on. Well, I think what we've come, <laughs> the conclusion we've come to here is that water polo is probably not real. Yeah, there's no way water polo is real. Like, what polo is, it? is real, right? What is it? Is water polo like that sport from Final Fantasy VIII or whatever? <laughs> Blitzball, <laughs> Final Fantasy X. Isn't it like that? I mean, I guess so, but I guess, like, because I mean, you can't get a horse underwater, right? So it's going to have to be some kind of blitzball shit. You can't get a horse underwater. If there's one thing to take away from this podcast, is you can't get a horse underwater. <laughs> you can lead a horse to water, but you can't get him under it. Yeah. You cannot get a horse to a full body swim underwater <laughs> and perform athletic maneuvers. That hey. is a fact. The second you do it, you call me and let me know. I'm willing to stake my whole reputation on it. <laughs> um. Okay, so we've had we've had sports chat. Uh, yeah, we've had the famous sports segment we do on this show, where I talk for 90 minutes and then you say, "Oh." So, <laughs> I mean, I look. You know, I'm not very good with sports. I don't I know, know enough to really I, talk. I know. I know. So, um, what do you got? I do have a. I have. I have. A, this is a sort of going to be. I think the big thrust of our our episode here. Big thrust is my uh, my porn name. That was um, my nickname in high school. <laughs> big. I, I remember that. I used, to, I used to call you Big Thrust yeah. Holloway. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about an article that I read this week. Uh, from uh, what website is this? The Guardian. Uh, by a guy named Paul Lewis, which is called titled. Uh, welcome to Powder Mountain, a utopian club for the millennial elite. I must, I'm going to quote Dave Chappelle, loosely quote Dave Chappelle on this. Paul Lewis, that's a racist name. <laughs> you think so? Just going to say it. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting judgment to make uh, off, the, off the top of your head. But, but yes, I'm... I have heard of this Powder Mountain thing, and if you want to go ahead and explain it, we can get into it. 
Well, first of all, I think the name is very appropriate because I'm reading the article. A lot of cocaine was done on this mountain for sure, and they're mostly white people. So, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm looking at this art, this 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 uh, main image, and it's just three white dudes sitting in Utah somewhere. So yeah, like you, if you didn't put the powder mountain on top of it, you could just think it was like LL Bean catalog 2018. So let's just get right into this. I'm going to read you the opening paragraph, and we'll just, we'll go from there. All right. Um. Jeff Rosenthal is standing near the top of a snow-covered mountain, or sorry, his snow-covered mountain, wearing a fluffy jacket, fingerless gloves, and ripped jeans. It's surreal, man, he says, shivering as he surveys the landscape of newly laid roads and half-built homes. That's Ken Howery's house, the co-founder of PayPal. Awesome house. So, you know, getting off the start here, these are going to be some fuckers, right? Hey, can you do me a favor? Uh Uh-huh. Can you shoot me in the head? (laughs) because that's how i feel after having heard that um so yeah this this apparently the thrust of this article uh is i keep saying thrust a lot geez uh is that these guys these three uh millennials as they call themselves bringing shame to the name yeah um have gotten together and organized this sort of like big this big thing where they bought uh, a mountain, a uh, powder mountain in Utah. Uh, it's an old ski resort. They're turning it into a uh, a retreat for the the wealthy uh, millennial elite of, of the world uh, to come together. And their purpose is how many is... bitcoin? How many bitcoins did that mountain cost? Oh my god! At this point, <laughs> probably like six million. You see that story today, by the way, today about the uh, Bitcoin, the blockchain technology contains like child porn now. Yeah, I'll have to verify that before I say anything about it because it's it's kind of, I don't know. It, I think it's I think it's made up, but I'll, I'll say it right now, man. All Bitcoins contain child porn. Every single one of them. Discard your Bitcoins now. Unless you like fucking children. Um, wow. So these guys, uh, they um, are in their 30s, uh, stretching the definition of millennials. Um, they have this thing together called Summit, uh, an exclusive ga- gathering described by insiders as a Davos for millennials. I don't know what the fuck Davos is, but I don't yeah, like it. No clue. Uh, it says here that applicants to Summit are screened and interviewed to ensure they display the correct psychographic or mindset for the events. It is pitched as an entertain, entertaining ideas festival comparable to Ted and Burning Man, featuring with speakers such as Quentin Tarantino, Jane Fonda, Peter Thiel, and Jeff Bezos. Guests pay $3,000 to $8,000 for access to three-day flagship events hosted everywhere from the beaches in Tulum, Mexico, to cruise ships in the Caribbean. Wow. I would just like to say that this is as good time as any to announce that the Illinois Podcast actually have our first... Uh, meetup coming up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be called Zenith, and it's gonna be um, we're gonna it's gonna be the Caligula for the millennial generation. <laughs> we're just we're gonna, gonna start small and just invite you to our Discord server called Fardass. We're just gonna fuck and eat and kill for days, and it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, that's true. That's what we're gonna do. It's gonna be awesome, and it'll be held on Fardass Mountain. Um, so yeah, they basically have bought Powder Mountain. They want to create this community for billionaires to come together and discuss all their great ideas. They're going to change the world, make things. And that's the thing is, apparently their their goal is to focus on utopian or altruism, uh, altruistic ideas. Yeah. And I mean, I was going to go ahead and say it. That's fucking bullshit. Money is uh, uh, the antithesis of uh, of utopia. 
You can't do it. Yeah, and the only reason that they're able to sit around and think about utopia and altruism is because they have all this goddamn money, and all of this, all of, all of us other millennials don't have that money, so we have to fucking go to work every day, and we don't have time to sit around and think about having our own mountains and building a utopia. So fuck you. Yeah. And I this little, this little uh, section here that says uh, uh, in parentheses about uh, a smaller event that I mean, it only cost two thousand dollars for three days. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Glassman, a comedian flown from L.A. for a ten-minute set, prompts howls of laughter when he says Summit had taught him that everyone does mushrooms. What is what is even the point of that aside? Ah, oh, man, we're all doing drugs. It's good up here, man. We're all doing mushrooms, you know? Yeah, we're doing mushrooms because we don't have do- jobs that constantly drug test us and put us under pressure to perform and all that. We can just do whatever the fuck we want all day. Yay. Exactly. It's just a bunch of bullshit. Uh, like others, oh, there's more from the article. Uh, like others, I have been quietly schooled in the unwritten social rules. Asking someone what they do is considered faux pas. The socially acceptable alternative is... What is your passion? Hey, I know that first bullet didn't quite hit me in the head. Just go ahead and put another one in. <laughs> I just want to stand over you at the end of fucking of mice and men. Just unload a revolver into the back of your head. That's exactly what I was thinking. Except our proportions are switched. Alright, so bear with me here because we got a bit of a section we got to talk about. Alright. Uh, after dinner one night, I met an investment banker, two venture capitalists, a famous TV host, a sex coach, a cannabis entrepreneur, a man who claimed to have developed a new method for brewing coffee, and Facebook's head of counterterrorism. Most of them are talkative, extrovert types, but none of them seems out of the ordinary. Yeah. The highlight of the weekend is a pre- pre- presentation about the search terrestrial life led by Kiko Donchev, uh, engineer from SpaceX, who explains why his boss, Elon Musk, wants to make life interplanetary. Quote, Earth is the only place that we have right now, so if we want to guarantee the existence of the human race beyond the next 100 or 200 years, it is really important for us to become a multiplanetary species. Quote, Donchev says, as his audience packed into a yurt-like lodge on the summit of the mountain, nods approvingly. All right. So obviously we're we're gonna get into this whole Elon Musk thing in a second, but first of all I have to go ahead and say something. The fact that one of these fucking assholes can go to this conference and be called a cannabis entrepreneur, while there are thousands of guys locked up for doing the same shit that he's doing, just less white and less rich, is so fucking stupid. Yeah, and it makes me it makes me so fucking mad whenever I see these. These uh, cannabis business people, not like the ones who like run dispensaries or whatever, because they're just trying to do a job. But these like really, really rich guys who just have all these pot farms and are just drug dealers, but don't get locked up for it. And all the and we still have all these dumb laws that keep guys in prison. That's my thing about cannabis entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But as far as I mean, we we know what we're about to say. We know what we're about to say. Mm-hmm. Fuck Elon Musk. Yeah, fuck his boar ass. I hate that motherfucker. Make life interplanetary. How about you fucking fix this planet first, you know? The one where all the people live at, you know, all the all the regular humans live here and not on Mars? You can go fuck yourself. Um, but yeah, I just want to say one other thing. Uh, 
about what well, I got more to this article about this little section right here. The art, the author of this article, actually, Paul Lewis, is pretty woke. I gotta say, uh, for like, oh a, really? Yeah, for like a like he he is definitely like this is the first time that really shows where he says, um, I, uh, I ask an astronomer who appears on stage with Don Shiv who exactly might colonize Mars in the event the Earth becomes uninhabitable. Quote. Unfortunately, I think, or unfortunately, I think, the same way it always happens, she says, the people with power and money. Hmm. So this astronomer is woke, and the fact that he's reporting it also understands that this is bullshit. Okay. Maybe he's not as racist as I thought. No, this this guy definitely, I uh, uh, read the article, I gotta say, I, at first I was, like, disapproving, but I read it, and this guy does not believe this bullshit these guys are putting down, like... He is constantly challenging them in this article, and they don't fucking, uh, they don't have any good answers to his questions. Alright, at this point, I'm pretty sure he listens to our podcast. I'm sorry (laughs) about what I said about your name. I didn't mean it. I was uninformed, so no hard feelings, Paul. Hit me up on Twitter, at Life of Seth, and we'll talk about it. Paul, come on the show. We'll have you on. Yes, we will gladly. Well, we gotta have five more Ben episodes, but then you'll be on right after him. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So this guy, the one of the main guys in this is named uh, uh, Biznow, which is just a fucking amazing name. Is his brother Kim dot com? <laughs> Kim dot com and John Biznow, um, who said that he got his start in like being a, a rich person by, uh, uh, I mean, of course, being rich to start with, but also like uh, setting up like a, a get together with a bunch of rich people in Mexico, and all he had to do to do it was seventy five thousand dollars in debt to get there mm-hmm. and that paid off it uh it included all kinds of young well-connected businessmen including uh ivanka trump she was there oh awesome this is gonna be good you know but when i think of when i think of the trump family i think of very very good at business very yes. good brains um so yeah these guys also lived in uh, malibu for a while um host and this is quote uh, from them, they were hosting quote amazing dinners that became pretty culturally significant in L.A. at that time. You know, just pat yourselves on the back for that one. Yeah. So then they decided to buy Powder Mountain. That was their big thing. They wanted to transform their considerable social capital mm, into real estate, as they always do. Um. So they they gathered about seventy five of their wealthier patrons and flew them up to Powder Mountain in, in Utah's Ogden Valley. And showed them the place, and they, and then, dude, it could not get more Silicon Valley TV bullshit than what I'm about to describe to you right here. Alright. Uh, just a little small, one sentence. Quote, they arrived in time for sunset, lit a bonfire in the snow, and laid out their vision. Barf. I actually <laughs> just puked. Is that literally not a scene from, from the show Silicon Valley, though? It's pretty close. There's a scene where... Ehrlich does a bunch of uh, mushrooms to try and come up with an idea for the name of their company. And, yeah. And then also, whenever you, on that show, whenever you see those other fucking tech companies, they're always doing stupid bullshit like that. So and it, they, it's just okay. so funny to see it happen in real life. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they, it's like, it's a, they're, 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 like, art is, our life is imitating art in this situation. Yeah. Um, and then they said that, uh, I, they bought the mountain, obviously, $40 million. 2013. Yeah, just forty million dollars. Cool, forty mil, right? Yeah. 
Um, and now they're building it up into a community. And it says, uh, much of the frustration of some locals, machines have been drilling wells deep into the mountain in search of water. Uh, one day there will be 500 homes on the mountain and a village with coffee shops, juice bars, restaurants, a sound studio, and a five-star hotel. And they haven't even found water yet? Nope. That's bad planning. That's I know, bad man. Planning. Isn't, that, isn't that this shit? <laughs> so yeah, it says uh, it says here, now here's again, him. the, the author is kind of like uh, showing his fucking balls. Um, I steer the conversation to the subject of how utterly detached from the real world elite seem to have become. Quote, elitism, the way I would define it, is obtainable. Uh, quote, he replies, quote, all that stands between you and being elite is your own investment in yourself. That's the only thing that stands in the way. Mm-hmm. Everyone can be a millionaire. Yeah. Everyone. And the thing is, is it definitely plays into like the American psyche of where everyone thinks they're just a temporarily embarrassed millionaire. Yeah. Which, if anyone were to take one step back and realize... That, you know, when you were growing up and you were in high school or whatever, and there's that one lady who's like 40, and she's always been working at the Burger King in your town, and she never hasn't been working there, you kind of have to learn that, you know, not everyone can be a millionaire. Some people have to do these jobs for the rest of their lives, you know? and But no one ever tries to take that step back and think about that. Yeah. And there, dude, there is so much. I'm going to read you a little section right here as well. That it's just going to like, it makes my blood boil, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to you in sections because it's so fucking infuriating. All right. Um, I tell Rosenthal that I've met many people in America who work as hard as him and his friends. Harder, in fact. But struggle to make ends meet. He acknowledges that he's benefited from considerable advantage, but insists we now live in an era in which the internet is the great equalizer. Quote, What are you doing to create utility for yourself? Are you introducing people so they can collaborate? Quote, he says. Shrugging Americans, he adds, might want to, quote, host a dinner, invite ten strangers, see what happens. Quote. Wow. That it? What? 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 Just invite ten strangers to a dinner, Seth, and see, see what happens. See if Is you that can... all I'm doing wrong? Yeah, apparently. That's all it takes. Damn. You and ten strangers, y'all can come up with your fucking billion dollar idea right there at a dinner table. That's how it works for fucking everybody. No one benefits yes. from, you know, generational wealth and fucking uh, or racial privilege or any fucking uh, shit like that. No, no, no. It's just it's just ten strangers at a table coming up with an idea together. That's how it yeah. happens. I'd like to know how many of these guys on Powder Mountain went to private school. Oh, dude, listen to this part right here then. Uh, Rosenthal presses on with his thesis, telling me there are just not enough people in the world who will, quote, excessively commit their lives to something. Journalism, cheese, automobiles, whatever. Rocket ships, perfect example. Everyone wants to work at SpaceX. No one wants to go to engineering school. Cheese? Cheese. First of all, I don't want to work at SpaceX. Nope. And I have, I mean, first of all, I would never get a job there anyway, but I do I do have a skill set that could work at SpaceX, but I don't want to fucking work there. Fuck those guys. Yeah. So, that's insane. And cheese? <laughs> I know plenty of people who, who go to engineering school. I mean, I, I handle a, a college of people who are going into engineering professions, right? Yeah. I understand this. This is what's happening. And the, the, it's not that people aren't going to engineering school. It's the fact that there aren't jobs for them. They're not connected enough, right? Yeah, I mean, you can be a great engineer but not have 
and either not have connections or just not be lucky. Let's not sit here and pretend that even people who have shitty jobs sometimes get lucky to get those jobs. Oh, so for sure. we can't sit around and pretend that skill is all there is and knowing people is all there is. A lot of getting a job and getting a good job is fucking luck. And don't let anyone tell you different. Mm-hmm. There's plenty yeah. of people who went out and got a good job just on their merit. There's and there's there's some of those, but most people who have even like I said even lower level jobs got it because they know somebody or because they were just in the right place at the right time and got lucky. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you know a guy who knows a guy or you know like you said you get lucky and that's how you get a job. It's not like yep. a, a hard work and skill like these people think doesn't doesn't factor in as much and they don't even know that because they have money they already started off rich. Yeah, like that's the thing is if you haven't. If you never, if you haven't ever had no money, then you don't know what it's like, and you don't, you can't pretend that you know what it's like. It's not one of those things that you can sit around and, you know, be like, okay, it. If I were actually poor and I never had all this money, this is what my life would be like. Because that's not how it fucking works. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fuck these guys. Oh, dude, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna get even worse. Just so you know. Um, all right. We drive to the top of the mountain. Rosenthal reflects on its future. Quote, is a great album going to be recorded here, he asks? Is the filmmaker of our time going to make it think of a movie they'll make? Will a company get formed that becomes the next Google? He adds, it's just a sort of an endless pool of opportunity for the world at large. Oh my god. What? What? How is the world at large taking advantage of you know, albums and movies being thought of on this fucking mountain? How? I mean, if, I, I mean, like movies and I like music, but how do they improve my material conditions in life? Hey, not even not even that. The fact that he thinks that all this is going to be done with five hundred houses for rich pe- people who are already rich. I yeah. mean, what the? Stop right there, like. This, this, it's just another case of these guys who are just so out of touch. And, oh my god, it's just, it's disgusting. Oh, but here's like, here's where, I would uh, love to go to Powder Mountain and go 10 rounds of bare fist boxing with any of these guys. Oh yeah, burn that fucker to the ground if you ask me. Yes. But here's where, here's where it gets good again, because this guy's, this guy's gonna fucking do the goddamn, the, the, the dirty ass work of journalism. Um... Altruism is a powerful marketing brand, and Rosenthal and his friends have become experts at using the idea to promote their businesses. But when I ask exactly what they've been doing for the public good outside of their conferences, little appears to be happening. Summit is a quick is quick to say that it raised five hundred thousand dollars to help the Nature Conservancy to protect marine life, but that was partly an effort to compensate for the damage caused by their Caribbean cruises. Now that their flagship conferences are being held in L.A., Rosenthal tells me the company provides 50,000 meals to the unfed in the city. When I look into this claim, I discover that donations actually involve 30,000 meals for families displaced by California wildfires, and they were paid for by the L.A. Chargers football team, not Summit. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah, I know, A lot just happened in that paragraph. (laughs) It is fucking wild, dude. They paid a half a million dollars to some nature conservancy thing, but it was because they were the ones causing the damage with their fucking cruises. Oh, stuff like this. Just, oh, I guess my blood boiling. I know, right? I hate it so much. I've, I've, I've read, I read a different article about Powder Mountain a couple of days ago, and it's just, oh, it's just disgusting. And these... I don't know. It's just, like I said, it's just a bunch of out-of-touch guys 
who get to do whatever the fuck they want because they were born with money. That's yeah. how it's always been, and that's just that's just what they do. I mean, it's, there's no difference between what these guys do and what fucking Donald Trump does, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's the same fucking shit, different fucking people. And so now the article is going to start picking on this one guy, uh, Ramit Chawla. I say picking on him, but he deserves it. I'm looking at him right now. He is dressed. He's he's like I guess he's like an Indian guy or something uh, of some description, and he is wearing a like skiing outfit that is 100% the American flag. He has a beard that goes down past his nipples, and he is talking to one of these uh uh this Rosenthal character who was like doing that a, a annoying ass thing that in my opinion for some reason I don't this is irrational where you like you get down on one knee to a person who's in a chair and you're just like mm, yeah get yeah listen to him I hate that shit yeah that's just that's just gross it's like it's the same thing to me as people who like a guy who will intentionally look for a chair that has no arm so he can turn it around and sit in it the wrong way exactly it's, it's just the same so fake. thing it's so fake. You're not like you're like one of these fucking uh, uh, fucking slavs who like had to crouch down in the street to smoke cigarettes and talk on the goddamn in, in an alleyway in like fucking Vladivostok. No, you're this you're just doing this to, like to affect a weird look. Um, yes. But yeah, so this guy Ramit Chawla, I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm very sorry. Um, who says that uh, there is definitely an aura of Kool Aid around the uh, around Summit? And he says, "quote I would say I'm happy to drink it." Uh, Chawla is a minor celebrity on Instagram. Several years ago, he created a stir with the launch of an app called Lovematically that automatically liked every post on a user's feed. First of all, kill yourself <laughs> if you say you want to drink the Kool Aid. That is the. I, that does he even know what it means? Does he even know what the Kool Aid means? Mm-hmm. Second of all, how fucking useful is that app? To like all paid all post by somebody? That's just weird. How, who how, who wants this? Seth, you you work with software. How hard would it be to design that? No, not hard at all. It's like just a script, right? Yeah, it's it's really it's probably very easy, and you just have to port it into an iPhone app. But uh, first of all, I don't even care about how easy it is to make that. A lot of apps are easy to make. But it's just stupid. <laughs> it's just a bad idea. So he goes on to say uh, that he um, he had just been on a disappointing trip to Verbier, a res- uh, resort in the Swiss Alps where the food was, quote, not that progressive. Huh? Uh, Utah, he says, made for a refreshing change. Quote, I bumped into 30 of my friends. I didn't have to do anything. The food was amazing, he says. There was a moment when they served coconut water, quote, or end quote. Coconut water was the very thing he'd been craving in Switzerland. At that moment, he thought to himself, quote, these guys just get me. He adds, I thought, you know what? I love to support this project because of coconut water, Seth. Damn, dude. That's the Kool-Aid. Like, what is coconut water? Water with coconut flavor in it? That's just the water. Okay. Actually, I'm about to say something that I have no idea about mm-hmm. so just bear with me um i think that coconut water is like because you know coconuts have like water inside of them i think that's what it is it's the water from coconuts first of all coconut is the only food i do not like i love pretty much every food ever made the only food i don't like is coconut so coconut water just sounds disgusting to me in the first place and second of all you can get it anywhere that's not that special Mm-hmm. Poor people drink coconut water. 
But not in Switzerland, apparently. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure things are different. I'm sure in Switzerland, they don't sell stupid shit to people. Um. So do you know what he was inspired to create by his time at uh, at Summit? Oh, I don't know. An, an app that lets you look at Facebook? Oh my god, Seth, you're so close. You're so fucking close to what he did. What did he do? He created a now-defunct, not-for-profit company called, oh my god, Charity Swearbox. It was a website connected to Twitter that would monitor how often a user swears in their tweets and recommend they make a donation to charity. Your podcast app didn't just shut out, by the way, listeners. (laughs) That is just radio silence for me hearing one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. But here we go, Seth. Here's the most infuriating thing this guy has done, okay? You ready for this? Yeah. Um, Okay. I tell Chawla he's op- I heard I've heard he's opening a secret little hotel in the Hudson Valley, New York State. How quote How'd you know this? He asks, a little startled. It's not so secret if everyone starts talking about it. Quote He tells me about the 250 acre fil- acres filled with quote cute cottages and homes and greenhouses and plants and vegetables, where guests can stay for about five hundred and twenty five dollars a night. He wants to learn about food, farming, and nutrition, and plans to be diverse enough to appeal to a wide array of clients. Quote, I'm going for the corporates, and then I'm going for the yogis, he says. The secrecy, he explains, is intended to, quote, play with the idea of frustration. There's no published photos of the hotel. The public can't book it. So you have to email and mention who you know is connected to the property. Then you can come, quote. Sounds like a classic fire festival to me. (laughs) I, he's created a private hotel which costs a, a half a thousand dollars a night to stay there that you don't yeah. even know about. You can't you can't find out about it. There's no pictures. You had to know somebody. Like, can you think of something that's more elitist than that? Um, probably not right now though. Yeah, no. This, this um, is just it's it's just like it's it's incredibly out of touch with how people live their lives. Yeah, it's just it's like who are you? Who are you? Like, does this guy, like, does he wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and know what's looking back at him? Because I feel like if I was doing this shit, I would just be fucking confused. What? What? I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose it today. I'm not going to lose it. So listen to this. I still have my thread. Listen to this. Okay. Is now one of these guys who thinks of Richard Branson as his hero. You know who Richard Branson is? Yeah, he's the owner of a virgin. Yeah, he's a billionaire who uh, was yeah. hanging out with Obama not that long ago. Just so yeah, he's anybody, a ridiculous person. If anybody has any questions about Obama, just realize he was he got he he, he left America uh, to Trump and went to hang out on Billionaire Island with Richard Fucking Branson. So I should tell you all you need to know. But we were talking about how these guys are wealthy, right? These guys all started off wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father, Mark Biznow, gave a real world example of how a parent might go about doing this, which is. Raising an entrepreneur because he has a his mother wrote a book titled that Seth Raising an Entrepreneur. Nice. Um, they made uh they made uh, uh Elliot Elliot Bisnell this guy uh drop out of college a co-founder he made him a, a co-founder in the business that his father was making which then sold in 2016 for 50 million dollars. Wow. So this guy is not hurting for money and he goes yeah, on to say this. Fine. This goes on to happen. 
I ask Elliot Biznow if he has any regrets. He replies, just so much of my life being part of the problem. For so many years, just going through the world in a kind of ignorant, not thoughtful, not present way. Not listening, not learning, not caring about my surroundings. Just caring about me and my success and being like the prototypical capitalist. It's like so lame. Yes, it is. It is very lame. And again, the author here has to fucking has to fucking get in one a, a good thing, I think. He tells me he's still evolving. He's in meditating, reading, learning about ecology and sustainable farming. If Biznow is committed to altruism, why one is day he might be human. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the he's the fucking bicentennial man, is what this fucking guy yeah. is. He's slowly replacing his robot parts with human meat. Um uh, if Biznow is committed to altruism, why is the Summit Institute, the not-for-profit wing of his empire, so minuscule with an annual budget that is a fraction of what, his, what it costs to build his house? Quote, We've just been so busy with so many things, we thought there's no rush, he replies. Why not just slowly ramp it up? Ugh. And then, I tell Biznow that his alpine town for wealthy elites could be perceived as dangerously detached and exclusive. He says he's really not into exclusive communities before taking a few moments to mull at the meaning of the word exclusive. Quote, It is one of those words like luxury or utopia, he says. It is one of those words that is very charged. Maybe there's a yoga retreat for people who are, who are really great at yoga, and I can't get into it. Does that mean it's exclusive? Oh, wait. I like playing basketball, but I can't get into the NBA? <laughs> what? That That's unfair. That's exclusive. The NBA is exclusive. I don't like that. Oh, dude, you're going to this part right here. He says, um, he says, uh, he tells me that he's open to the suggestion of his, his community is elitist. Quote, these criticisms, there's a truth to him, quote, and insists that he strives to make authentic connections with people from all walks of life. For example, he says, earlier in the day, he met a worker at a ski resort who was taking guests on a tour. Quote, I literally could have said, all right, have an awesome tour. And instead I was like, so you're here all year? Quote, and he goes, no, I'm actually from New Orleans. And I'm like, Really? Biznow says he be he behaves the same way with servers and restaurants. When you start, quote, when you start to engage with these people, you, you realize the humanity in everyone and how unbelievable they are. Quote, then he explains how he always sits in the front seat of Uber taxis, talking to dozens of drivers a week, hearing, quote, the most remarkable stories, quote. He ends up hanging out with a significant number of his drivers. I ask how many Uber drivers he's invited to Summit. He doesn't say, but instead tells me an anecdote about a chef he invited to Summit after meeting him, quote, at a dilapidated castle in England. Okay, one thing. I, I've only been in three Ubers in my entire life when I was living in Atlanta. Um, it was an easy way for me to get to places that I didn't want to drive to because it's a busy mm -hmm. city. I did not know that it's you're not supposed to sit in the front seat Oh, yeah? So I always did. I just always sat in the front seat. Everyone everyone seemed really nice, though. All, all my drivers were really cool with it. They are like, oh, yeah, you know? And it wasn't until a week ago when I was talking to some friends that I realized you're not supposed to sit in the front seat of an Uber. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was cool, though. He's, he is, he's right about this. Uber drivers, the ones I've had, they're delightful. Um, he is treating them, in this text, he's actually treating them less than human, um, in my opinion, by say, you know, just by lumping them all into one category, and then, of course, not in, not inviting them to any of this, because, of course, they're fucking poor people and can't afford any of this shit. Yeah, he's like, wow, you're so human, it's like you're almost real people. Yes. Show but, me how. So let's finish this motherfucker off. Yeah. Um, 
the conversation reminds me of so many that I've had in and around San Francisco in which millennials made rich through technology relay snippets of revelatory conversations they've had with Uber drivers, some of whom would live and sleep in their cars. It is as though the taxi-sharing app is one of the last remaining cords keeping the new elites connected to the, everyone else's world. When Uber rolls out its self-driving cars, even that fragile connection will be broken. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It's going great. It's going good, Seth. The fragile connection of a person with their own life has been broken now. But for a little while, cars. because a woman died for a little while, Elliot Bisnow will have to remain attached to other human beings that are not rich. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there is a shocking stratification in places such as San Francisco. I say cities that seem increasingly detached from the real world. "Quote: It is a big problem." He agrees. That's why a lot of successful people like living in New York, because in New York, you're just always in it. You just go down to Manhattan and you're right there, back in society. Quote, I get the sense that Biznow doesn't quite understand my point, but he insists he knows where I'm coming from. Quote, it's not good when the world forms bubbles and loses connections, but I feel like that's unfortunately been a big part of the history of the world. As you become more successful, you get your house and your gate, and you move into your bubble and your friends, and you just totally lose connection. And I think that's clearly what we're seeing in front of us. Quote. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yes, he, there are bubbles forming. He can recognize the problem. He can see that it's, it's happening to him, right? Yeah. But... He doesn't do anything about it. He's still building his mountain retreat for the elite to go in to go and live in and totally ignore the poor. It's, yeah. He's just he's he's doing the thing that he knows is bad. He's a smart guy. Oh my god! So that article almost killed me. Um, I uh, my blood pressure is is high. I'm angry. Yeah, my blood's hot. My feet are heavy because I've been stomping. Um. And- so I got one more thing I want to talk about real quick. It won't take but a minute or two to talk about okay. this. This is about um, uh, happening right here in our home state of Georgia. Um, this is from Let America Vote, which is a, a Twitter account uh, about that talks about voter suppression uh, uh, efforts. Yes. And this is about um, so this is these are two bills that are coming up pretty soon uh, uh, in the Georgia House: um, SB three six three and SB three oh nine. Uh, and their goals are to eliminate early voting on the Sunday before Election Day and changes the hours of polling locations in Atlanta to close one hour earlier at 7 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. So, basically, the goal here is, is to, to make ahead. sure that black people can't vote. Exactly. Exactly. Because the people who mostly do early voting are black people, and the people who had to work longer hours and need those extra uh, uh, time at the polls are black people. Yep. So and this um, is also why they'll never give us any election days off at, like, as days off from work, because then black people will vote whenever they want, and we can't have that. Oh no! You ever heard? You know what I think we should do, Seth? By the way, you know what we should do? What election day should actually be election week? You can cast your votes anytime during the week, which is a federal national holiday. Everyone gets to be off for a certain amount of time during this holiday. You get it's paid time off, so everyone has a chance to go and vote. Yeah, I mean that's that's you know a grand idea that would make things a lot better. But sadly, people aren't trying to make things better. No, they're not. That's not that's not their goal. So yeah, if you're from Georgia, if you listen to this, if you're if you're down here in a, a millennials country, 
You can uh, text uh, vote GA to 44939, and they will get you uh, hooked up with your representatives so you can urge them to vote no on these two bills. So uh, please do that if you if you live in Georgia, or even if you don't, I don't care. Lie. Tell them you don't live in Georgia. Fucking just do it. Talking yeah. a goddamn Australian accent for all I care. Tell them you don't like this shit. Um, yep. So yeah, that's it. Leo's podcast. Another one down, man. That was Leo's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Marcus Barkley, the elusive enigma, for giving us our logo. And yeah, this has been a good week. Which, by the way, on that front, there's another part of the logo coming soon. I want everyone to know. Really? There's a new design. Two-part logo? Uh Uh-huh. Nice. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, at MCSurf, that is S-E-R-F. You can find Seth on Twitter. At Life of Seth, with underscores and stuff, you'll find it. And hey, if you like the show, maybe you know, uh, share it around, show it to people, let them know. There's a, there's these these two these brothers out in the south the southeast. You know, we're not all uh, red state you know assholes down here. There's some socialists, some leftists down here trying to get some shit done, and we love to have uh, love to get more people involved in uh, the Illinois Nation. So yeah, um, tell your friends, spread it around. And if there's one thing you take away from this podcast, let it be. Fuck the New England Patriots. Also, you can't get horses underwater. Can't get horses underwater. Thanks, guys. Peace.